Prosopagnosia, the inability to recognize faces, occurs in up to 2% of the population. Most people struggle with it alone, unaware it even has a name. The stories in this podcast can be painful and hilarious. Join us for an exploration of the people, science, and realities of this condition. Maybe you have a hard time remembering faces. Come for the stories, stay for the coping techniques. My guest today studied economics, philosophy, and perhaps merged those two into something called neuroeconomics, but then pivoted to the stand-up comedian life in New York City, uh, dealing with face blindness the whole time. Ben Rosenfeld, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm good. Thank you for joining. You are our first comedian. Oh, boy. I feel the bar has been not set yet, so that's good. (laughs) Uh, And to that point, before we start, you sent over a clip of one of your bits uh, dealing with face blindness. It's a little racy, uh, but I'm going to include it here. Uh, So we'll insert that now. But you should just know I'm medically bad at recognizing faces. Yeah, like to me, faces look like kneecaps. I can't tell them all apart unless there's a scar or purple hair or they're attached to a nice butt. Yeah, people think I'm friendly because I always smile and say hi. But it's just because I'm not sure if we're already friends. It's like people recognize me, but I don't recognize them. So I feel like a celebrity. And sometimes people are like, Ben, are you trying to big league me? And I'm like, no, I have a disease, prosopagnosia. If you get mad at me for me not remembering you, you're the asshole. I have a disease. I'm sorry, but if we've only met once or twice, you're just another kneecap. Yeah, I'm medically bad at recognizing faces, but I have a photographic memory for nipples. (laughs) Like when I'd be meeting up on a third date, I'd be like, oh, hey, you. Sorry, can you lift up your shirt? Oh, Allie, great to see you again. I'm not a pig, I have a disease. Because I'm bad at faces, I help criminals because I can't testify at trials. Because the prosecutor would be like, sir, can you identify the perpetrator? And I'm like, yes, that guy. And he's like, sir, you're pointing at the judge's kneecaps. (laughs) And I'm like, can the judge lift up her shirt? Oh, Allie, great to see you again. (laughs) And we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, interesting bit there. Um, One thing, you know, before we get into your story, I wanted to ask you about is, uh, I I think if I remember correctly, you described uh, faces as kneecaps. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's totally accurate. I, I see them as kneecaps. Some of the literature I've read, people describe them as rocks or stones. But to me, they're, they're more like kneecaps. You know, like, you're not going to confuse a white kneecap with a black kneecap, but most white kneecaps look the same. It, the thing that threw me a little bit in your description, though, is do you mean you see kneecaps in real time or that's your memory or visualization of the face? Hmm. I just mean if I looked at 10 kneecaps in 10 minutes right. and then you had I had to match the kneecap to their backstory, I would fail miserably. Right. I, I mean, you, you actually do see faces like you I can, see. Fa- yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I see the features. They just don't. So I've done all that faceblind.org, all the tests they send you. Right. And I'm in bottom 10 percent of everything. But I feel of the people that have it, I only have mild to medium. We're like, eventually I recognize you in most instances. Like, look, I, I was born in Russia and like, I recognize my dad, no problem. But if he was standing next to Vladimir Putin, I might get confused. Mm. But like in most contexts, you know, uh, eventually, like I can recognize my wife, it's fine. But it takes me, like the first three times we met, I didn't remember meeting her until we were talking. I'm like, oh, wait, we've talked before, you know? And she she hates the story of how we met because I didn't remember meeting her. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, so to this point, though, uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to ask you about the severity. I, th- I think you've given some, you know, some good feedback on that. Um, but again, in your bit... Uh, I, it almost led me to think that when you look at a face, you 
you see like a blur or just a flat skin. Like you don't actually, you're not able to actually pick out an object mm. called a nose and a couple of eyes. No, no, it's not, yeah. it's not that bad. No, it's not yeah. that at all. I, I see all the features. I, I was just trying to think of a way to describe it to people who don't have it. Yeah. Where it's like, I, I imagine most people, if, if you just sit, if, if you're like on a bus or a subway or train and there's just, 10 people sitting in shorts all in a row and you can only look at their kneecaps while you talk to them. And then you have to tell them apart and then everyone like gets up and switches seats and you have to match the kneecap to who you just talked to for a couple minutes. Mm. That that's what me talking to people looking at their face feels like, like uh, unless there's something unique or strange, usually like hair or hat or they just look messed up. Uh, it takes me a long while. I, I'd say, like, if I talk to someone five or ten times in the course of a month for ten or more minutes, then it'll implant in my head. Mm. But then, like, you know how, like, Facebook has memories of, like, ten years ago? Or, like, some of those photo apps have it? Right. Sometimes, like Google Photos had it, and I, I like clicked on some photo from ten years ago, and it was a photo, and there was five people in it, and I had no idea who any of them were. So I think if I don't see you for a while, it fades away. Right. Well. So it's repetition and distance from the last repetition. Yes, probably. that's a much more scientific way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's really exactly the same way I the same. Uh, way i deal with this for sure um Con context also helps like, yes if i'm expecting to see you even if i sort of only know you i'll at least like feel 80 percent confident i know who i'm talking to like like if it's a comedian at a comedy club i can i mean not always because there's so many of us but more often than not i think i know who i'm talking to mm. whereas if i'm at the playground with my child and a comedian starts talking to me who I don't think has children and don't expect there, it would take me like three or four or five minutes, even if I know them decently, to figure out who I'm talking to. And are you at a stage now where uh, you sort of play along, go with the conversation, let them think they know you know who they are and try to figure it out? Or have you gotten to the point where you just start telling people, Hey, I'm face blind. I, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry I, if that offends you. I try to play along cause that's easier, but I'll also mention it. Like I, I don't feel bad about it. E even the second time I was talking to my now wife, she was like, you, you don't remember meeting me, do you? And I'm like, Nope. Like I don't have any guilt about it, you know, but I also don't, I don't like make it my central, Hey, I'm Ben and I can't recognize faces. <laughs> Like, I'll definitely mention, I think most, some or most people know, but I don't like, I don't lead with it. You probably lead with comedian, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or something. And like, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd say, yeah, it's like, it's usually when I mention it is the second time I meet them. If I have no idea who I'm talking to after a little bit, or if I'm like, Hey, ni nice to meet you. Although I, I've now learned to never say nice to meet you. That that's one trick I have is I always say nice to see you. Because mm. even if it's the first time you've met them, it it only sounds slightly weird, and usually no one says anything about it. But if you've met them before, then they then they don't get upset. We we can end the interview now because oh. you just taught me something that I can use immediately that I can't believe never occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I've because I've gotten in trouble with "nice to meet you" and then they get shitty with "oh, we've met before." So like, I just I just cut that from my vocabulary, and that makes life easier. I also you, you probably know this trick is if I'm already talking to someone or someone else is there. And then someone comes, a third person comes up, and I'm not sure who it is. I'm like, oh, hey, do you know Joe? And usually that second person, you know, the automatic thing is you introduce yourself, so you get their name, and then right. I try to start piecing together who the hell I'm talking to. You sneaky bastard. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, it's a lot of little tricks that, and it, when once those two don't work, then I'll admit it. But, but I, I mean, the kind of to... I think I, I was actually thinking about if this actually got me 
into or staying in comedy, right? There's two parts. One, your audience changes every night and you don't know who you're talking to anyway. So that's at least easier if you have face blindness because you don't really, you don't need to know the individuals in the audience. And it almost helps if you don't, you don't know who it is. It's just a mass of people. And then too, like in New York City, there's so many comedians that you can go, you can be on five shows with someone in one week and then not see them for two years. Right. And then, then it's like not a big deal because, you know, a lot of times when you're introduced to someone, it's like, I'm not sure if we've met. I also use that one. I'm not sure if we've met. And then like, yeah, there's so many of us. So then it's like, yeah, we've probably run into each other. So then it's like, there's no awkwardness. Absolutely. When yeah. you're a contractor type job, I guess, is the way to describe it. Whereas if it's the same place you're at, it, it makes it worse, especially at the start. I, I, I've definitely had that where... That makes sense for sure. Yeah. Well, um, I want to ask you one more thing about severity. Um, mm -hmm. I think I know the answer based on what you've already told me, but... Uh, you said you scored low on the online test, meaning yeah. you sh you scored as a mild face blindness. No, so I, I assume you've taken it as well. The face I have, yeah, yeah. You know, they send you the link, and it's like a forty or fifty minute test with those faces, and it was the most frustrating forty minutes of my life. Yeah, especially the the one that if your listeners don't know, they like they crop out everyone's hair. Right. So you only see their forehead to their chin and no one has glasses or anything. And it's all in black and white and photos. So like there's no context that you can use. And I just wanted to bash my head into the wall when I was doing this. Like I, I've never felt so frustrated. And the what, I think like part five or six is they have its faces of celebrities and they just want you to type in who it is. And I think there's like 50 and I, I, I got something like 48 or 49 wrong. And then after you do that part, they just have you say yes or no to, do you recognize this name or person? And I recognized all of them. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like that. Yeah. So if you see Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock, I assume you're probably going to recognize them. Yeah, because I've seen them. I've seen them on TV often enough that that's another. I mean, I think I'm jumping around a little, but like. Mm -hmm. I much prefer TV series to movies because once you learn the characters, it's the same characters for 10 to 70 hours of viewing. Whereas the movie, it, it like changes. You have to figure out who they are. And then by the time you figure it out, the movie's over. And like, I get confused sometimes. There was like one movie about uh, the IRA in the seventies that I watched with my wife. And there was a character with red hair and a beard which to me is rare. And I thought he was, he was like playing both sides because he was like an agitator and a cop. Mm. And it turned out it was two different guys, but they didn't have a scene together till 80 minutes in. And then I'm like, I quit on this fucking movie. I can't, <laughs> I can't deal with it. Uh, that's funny. Um, all right. So when I first, uh, w when you, first agreed to come on the podcast. I uh, went to your website, was trying to find, uh, learn a little bit more about you. And, you know, the first thing that popped out to me is, uh, the R in your name was reversed on the screen and we have this in common. I speak a little Russian, spent some time in Russia back in college. Now this is a long time ago. So yeah, but <laughs> um, and, you know, when I started listening to your bits, though, I, I couldn't really distinguish an accent, uh, which told me, OK, you've been here for a while. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, your past? Like you, you grew up in St. Petersburg or you were born in St. Petersburg. Yeah, I was right? born in. Well, it was Leningrad, USSR yeah. when I was born there. But now it's St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, yeah, I was born there and then we moved to America as like so. Ru ru Russia's fairly anti-Semitic and we're Jewish. Like, like, like in Russia, Jewish is a nationality on your passport. So like, even if you don't believe in God, you're still Jewish and you're still in like the university quotas and stuff like that. So when the communist wall, when 
communism was crumbling. Russia was trying, was letting all their Jews out, basically. So we came in like the refugee wave where most Russian Jews left Russia in the late 80s or early 90s, either to uh, America, Canada, or Israel. And what, what year did you leave? 80, 88. Okay. And how, how old were you then? I was like, we left when I was three. We got to America when I was four because the, the, the way it worked back then is the Soviet Union gave you permission to leave the Soviet Union, but only to go to like Italy or Viet or Austria because I know we made stops in both of those places. And while you were in Italy, you filed refugee status and then you hoped either America or Canada or Israel would grant you permanent resident like that they would take you in. The, the, the joke is we were the last white refugees. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have um, strong memories of living in Leningrad then? No, but I, I mean, I, I speak Russian fluently. We went, I've been back twice, uh, once right after high school graduation for a couple weeks. And then uh, a couple, I think probably eight more years after that. And then both of my parents work with Russia a lot. Uh, my mom's like a Russian art historian. My dad's run his own import-export businesses with Russia for years. So they were like both going individually for probably two weeks every three months my whole childhood. So it's a lot of, I mean, I still speak Russian at home. And then it was a lot of Russian by, in Russia culture by osmosis from sure. my parents. Yeah. Yeah. Like those, uh, I saw, uh, one of the bits or, or stories on your website was about uh, uh, Russian children's stories. Yes, and, I, uh, I have a whole book of uh, translated Russian children's stories called Russian Optimism. Yeah. Which is a oxymoron if, if you've yes. ever dealt with Russians. And, it, and the subtitle is Dark Nursery Rhymes to Chew You Right Up, where they're all like these horrible little rhymes in Russian. So I translated it. I mean, there's hundreds of them, but I picked the 30 that I thought were the funniest that would illustrate well. And then I translated it and uh, got an illustrator and art directed him. And it's on Amazon. Uh, if you type in Russian Optimism or RussianOptimism.com has. Oh, these are just tr straight translations. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't invent any of them. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I remember actually uh, picking up a book of nursery rhymes while I was over there in college yeah. because I thought, okay, it, it'll be simpler language. It's shorter. I can get to a meaning very quickly. And I had that exact same impression as I'm reading them. At first, you know, it doesn't hit me. You know, it's like three stories in. It's like, wow, these are all dark and the next one was darker and the next one was yeah. darker <laughs> yeah to, to get to give your listeners an example that there, there's stuff like uh malinkin malchik na shopuli myot boshovli sunish toni živjot a little boy found a machine gun nothing lives in the woods anymore <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect and that's one of the less dark ones <laughs> wow all right. So um, you grow up then in uh, Connecticut, right? Yes, Stanford, Connecticut. Oh, in Stanford. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so when did you start to realize uh, you might have trouble recognizing faces? So here's the thing. I was actually thinking about this because I knew I was doing the podcast for a few days. I don't think I noticed it till college because all through like elementary, middle, high school, you have assigned seats. Mm -hmm. And it and it's like the same thirty to sixty kids that you're with most of the time, and because mine is mild to medium, within like three four weeks I'd know I'd be able to recognize them. So like it wouldn't be hindering, you know, because uh, especially I, I always did well in school, so I'd be bored in class a lot. So I could just stare at people till I kind of grasp who they are and what they look like. Uh, but I, I, the first time I remember having, having the issue was, uh, fr freshman year of college. I was in some like big lecture hall and you know, people kind of always sit in the same kind of spot. And we, uh, so there'd be like a group of four or five of us. And I think there was one girl who might've had a crush on me. I'm not sure. But then like, I'm walking down the street to my dorm a day that we don't have the class and someone stops me to say hi. I'm like, oh, hey. She's like, do you not recognize me? And I'm like, uh, 
no. And she's like, I, I sit next to you in that lecture hall. I'm like, oh. But she had a hat on, so like I, it, I just had no chance. Mm. So that it started there, and then, but again, like, I mean, that's probably why in college I had like, I wonder if that's why I had a smaller group of friends. I went to Rutgers, which was like a big state school. So I wonder if that's why I had like four or five good friends, because then I could tell them apart. I, I never, I always thought I didn't want to be popular because I'm just a contrarian, but maybe it's just because I can't recognize people so well and they get mad if you don't know who you're talking to. I, I think you, you might be onto something there. I mean, I think that's fairly true for me as well. I mean, there's a certain capacity limit that you hit and, you know, your brain shuts down. And so, you know, yeah, I, I think five or six core is, uh, you know, easy to manage. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you have the second bit I sent you, but that's where I'm like, yeah, my best friends are a cyclop and like people that just look weird. I'll, I'll let you play it here. Uh, Cause I don't remember it, but <laughs> Yeah, I'll throw that in uh, now. You guys don't have to worry, because I'm really bad at recognizing faces. Yeah, like, I've hit on the same girl in the same bar twice in the same night. She gave me two different fake phone numbers. Meanwhile, her real number is in the bathroom. I'm bad at faces. Like, I can't recognize faces, just distinct features. Which is why my best friends are a redhead, a cripple, and a cyclops. It's actually all just one guy. Poor Bob. He played too much football. And we're back. <laughs> I almost want to say that like Jimmy Fallon. Um, so, all right. So uh, you're in college. You're starting to notice this. Um but do you have a name for it at that point? No, that, that's the thing. Like until I would say 28, 30, like way longer than I, I just thought I was bad at faces, but because I'd eventually get it, I, I just assumed it was, you know, like some people aren't good at remembering names. So I, I just thought it was like, I'm just not as good at this. And then I, I don't know, slowly it just, I, I remember like another time uh, at my first job, I was doing consulting and you like change projects every six to nine months. So you get a whole new team that you work with. Right. And the first week would always be impossible for me. Like I'd write down everyone's name and kind of what cubicle they sat at, but it would just be very difficult. And then, and, and it was like a lot of travel. So like I'd take the train from New York to Philly for one of the projects. And I remember at the train station thinking, maybe that's my boss from last week but I wasn't sure. So I didn't want to say hi, but then I like remembered what dress she was wearing. And then at the, once I got to the office, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was her. It, but it was always difficult. The s starting somewhere is always new is always super difficult for me. Cause you, you get hit with 10 to 30 new people. And it just, and I'd like be like, and plus, like, you're there to client, you know, like, it was consulting. So, like, you're coming into another company. So they expect you to, like, know things and be on the ball. Right. And that part was always tough for me. But it, uh, I, I'm in that role, too, by the way, like, in my current profession, I'm in mm -hmm. sales. And so, you know, it's almost always on site with customers, lots of them and new people all the time. And authenticity is really important to me. And so I, it, it really bothers me in that setting even more than in my personal life, right? That, you know, I, I'm faking knowing who I'm talking to very often for a while because it just, it doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. But then if you keep saying it, even if they know you have a condition, people don't always believe that you have it in a way. E even if you say prosopagnosia, face blindness, no, it's a real thing. Yep. That they're like, okay, you just don't remember me, you dick. Like, <laughs> you, you know, like most people kind of. And I remember when I realized I definitely have an issue, because I just thought it, maybe it's just because I don't think people, some people are important, so my brain just doesn't take them in. But but then uh, I was already doing stand up, and like after a show, a couple of people came up to me from MTV who were like, oh, we really like your set. We'd love for you to come in and talk about, you know, some projects or whatever. 
so that's like a big important thing, right? Couldn't get much more important. <laughs> right. And like I came in and pitched, but then I, I sought him out at some other place and they said hi. And I had no idea who was saying hi to me. And by the time I figured it out, my greeting was probably not very warm. Right. And then I never heard from them again. And it, it's like, I wish my brain would have processed that quickly. But it was just like, not, not going in. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, how, so how did you make this transition from your consulting gig to becoming a comedian in New York City? I mean, this sounds crazy. This sounds like, you know, a big decision to make. Um, and was it at all influenced by face blindness and maybe some of what you were feeling in the consulting gig? I don't, not, not to disappoint your viewers, I don't think it was influenced by face blindness, but, but it's one of those things, maybe it was in some subconscious way. Uh, well, so, so I did well, like I said, I did well in, in school and when you do well in school, but you don't know what you want to do with your life, your three main paths are law school, consulting, or iBanking. Uh, and I didn't want to do iBanking. And I knew I didn't want to do medicine or any of that. And I took the LSAT and did well, but I didn't really want to go to law school. So like I went to some career services presentation. They're like, well, you like traveling. Why don't you look into consulting? And I'm like, oh, why not? That seems interesting. You know, where it's like different projects instead of just doing one job for 50 years till you drop dead. Right. That they kind of sold consulting like every three or 12 months, what you do totally changes. So, like, then I interviewed with a bunch of those firms and got a gig at Accenture. Uh, but from college on, my, my freshman year roommate in college, who was randomly assigned to me but became one of my best friends, he was already doing stand up. So, I'd already, I'd always go around with him, kind of like his fake manager, like giving him little notes and ideas. And just being around comedy. And then me and him, like I said, we went to Rutgers. And we ran up, we, freshman year, we created a parody website of Rutgers called Sluckers. <laughs> where it was like drink it a week, sexual position at a week. It, it was like a college humor type website, but only for Rutgers. And we'd sell like merchandise and stuff. So like I, I was already dabbling in comedy without realizing it. But it was just like a fun little thing to do to blow off steam. So fa fast forward, uh, I'm two years into consulting and my friend's living in Philadelphia. I'm on a project. I'm sorry. He's living in Atlantic City. I'm on a project in Philadelphia. So and he's still doing stand up. So I start checking out shows in Philadelphia thinking like, oh, if he comes to visit me, I'll know where to send him. And after like a week of watching Philly open mics, I was like, I could write this shit. So like I, I go back to the hotel, write like a page of jokes and send it to my buddy Jay. I'm like, hey, Jay, maybe you could use some of this. And he writes back, it's not bad. Why don't you try it? And like it never even occurred to me to attempt it. Like in the back of my head, I wanted to like run a comedy club at some point, but I never thought I could perform. But when he said that, I'm like, yeah, why not? I, I don't know anyone in Philadelphia. If this goes terribly, who cares? So, like, the next week I went up and did, like, three minutes at their open mic. And so in, in New York City open mics, it's only other comedians, so it's terrible and no one laughs. Yeah, um, it's, it's, say that again, it's only what? In open mics in New York City, the only audience members are other comedians who are also performing. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and comedians are the worst possible audience because they're only thinking about what they're going to say and they don't laugh at anything. But in Philadelphia, their open mic would get like 40 to 60 real people to come out on a Tuesday night and just watch mostly amateur comedy. So I actually did okay and got a couple laughs. And like the next week when I came back, some guy recognized me from one of my, and like quoted one of my jokes. I'm like, oh, okay, I like this. And, and I remember like the first time, like my, I, I had note cards where I printed it out and then I pasted it on little note cards because I didn't remember what I was going to say. And my hand was shaking and I just remember that the thing I liked the most, the, the laughs were nice, but I also liked, like, it felt like people were actually listening to me. Whereas I feel most of the time people are just waiting their turn to speak. Mm. So I, I was hooked from the get-go, and that was almost 12 years ago. And here we are, my fourth comedy album's coming out February 7th. Check it out on iTunes. Don't shake your miracle. Type in Ben Rosenfeld, or uh, if you go to bigbencomedy.com, or Big Ben Comedy on any social media, 
it'll all come up. You'll see the link and give it a listen, please. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to put all those links uh, in the show notes, too. Yeah, just one shameless plug during the podcast. Back to face blindness. <laughs> oh, you can have as many as you want, my friend. Yeah. Um, oh, and so the uh, how did I get from consulting to comedy? So I started comedy while I was doing consulting. Uh, then, I, I mean, I knew even before I started consulting that I wasn't going to be doing it for 20, 30 years. It was just like a good first job to learn some skills. And like, I was still resume building to sound impressive, blah, blah, blah. So I applied to grad school because I, I took an interest in behavioral economics, which is like economics and psychology kind of combined. Uh, so then I applied to grad school for behavioral economics and the only place I got into was Caltech <laughs> for neuroeconomics, which is behavioral plus biology, where they put you in fMRI machines and kind of scan your brain while you're making decisions. And in theory, based on that, they can predict what you're going to decide before you decide it. Because like there's, there's an illusion of free will and self-control, but scientists pretty much believe that your subconscious just makes every decision a half second before you're consciously aware of it. And then you just justify whatever decision you made. Uh, so I was studying that for a hot second, but like, I, so I moved out to LA for that, but I, I was way more into doing stand up than I was grad school. Cause I, I viewed it as like, instead of doing 60 hours a week consulting and comedy, I'll do like 40 hours a week of grad school and do more comedy. But grad school was like, uh, no, we're paying you money to get a PhD. You should be here a hundred hours a week. And then I just started sleeping like 14, 16 hours a day, depressed. And like the only time I'd get out of bed was to do comedy pretty much. So I quickly learned I shouldn't be doing grad school in neuroeconomics and moved back to New York to focus on comedy. Wow. What a story. And, and like you say, it's, uh, over a decade now. Yeah, um, yeah. So it, it's uh, definitely your profession at this point. Yep. Um, so the other thing that came to mind is uh, I, I binge watched last year this uh, Crashing with Pete Holmes yep. on HBO. And, um, you know, gives me a little insight into what I think the New York City comedy lifestyle might be like. Is that fairly accurate to you? I, I'd, say, I'd say the shittiness of starting out is depicted pretty well in the show. Except, and this is a huge except, celebrity comedians never talk to you or know who the fuck you are. They don't invite you in to stay at their house? Yes, they don't. <laughs> yes, Sarah Silverman does not have randos crashing in her living room that she's met twice at a show. That that's not half, but like being on the street and being ignored and bombing and going up for two people at three in the morning when they're both asleep, that's all accurate. But actually... Being helped and moved up quickly, that, that part is Hollywood magic. Right. I, I'd also say, like, when I, because, like, the first year, year and a half, I was definitely, like, in Times Square passing out flyers to get on, to get people into shows in order to perform. And when I was in grad school deciding to quit, I was like, I would rather be in Times Square in the dead of winter passing out flyers than read this fucking study or write or do this math. At which point I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't be here. That's a pretty good sign. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, passing out flyers. That was one thing, you know, from the starting phase that I remember from the show is, uh, you know, the guy desperately wants to get on stage in this little tiny club. And, they're, you know, even in that little club, they're saying, no, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You can't you can't get on stage. You're like, well, we'll let you on stage, but you have to go stand out on the street and basically draw an audience first yeah, by I, handing out these flyers. Yeah, I mean, New, New York City comedy and... LA and Chicago and other big cities, but especially New York has a supply and demand problem. There goes my economics training, mm -hmm. uh, where there's way more supply of comedians than demand, although demand is high, but it's like, oh, you've been doing comedy three weeks. Who gives a fuck? Uh, can you bring an audience? Cause we have people that have been doing it 10, 20, 30 years that are way better than you. So you gotta, you gotta bring something to the table. So, so you're trying, I mean, you, you said the audiences are mostly, you know, keep comedians uh, in New York. and But you're, when well, you're doing no, no, that. No, 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 for open mics. So, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, th there's lots of great shows with real audiences. But when you're brand new, they're not putting you on those shows unless you bring people. 
and the two-way, so, so open mics are one thing where it's just comedians practicing in front of each other. Then there's new talent shows where if you want to perform, you have to bring two to 20, depending on the show, paying customers, your friends who, you know, pay a cover and two drinks and you do five to 10 minutes and then they watch another 10 comedians doing five to 10 minutes. Some of them are seasoned pros. Some are also new bringing people and that's how they get an audience or you're passing out flyers, getting strangers into a show, or you've been doing it a while and people know you and just put you on because you're funny or, and you've been on TV and blah, blah, blah. So I would imagine a little bit like your MTV story, uh, face blindness, at least in the early days, uh, could have given you a lot of anxiety because it's about networking with yeah. all these club owners and even probably the doorman at the yeah. club. Yeah, definitely the first year or two when anywhere you go, you don't know anyone or barely anyone, or it feels like 20 new faces every time of comedians. It definitely, that part took longer. Like what, once you're around for five, seven, 10 years, whatever, 80% of people you see often enough where if you have my version of face blindness, you generally know them and it's fine. But yeah, definitely at the start. I mean, it doesn't, it, it doesn't help that I'm considered smarter than average, right? J just based on college and work or whatever. So that already, you come off dickish and snobbish and intimidating. And then if you add on the face blindness where you don't recognize people, so you're not as friendly because you don't know who the hell you're talking to, it definitely doesn't make you the most popular person that gets invited everywhere. But yeah, I, I always try to say, hey, how are you? But, uh, you know, it... I'm sure it's less genuine, like you talked about, than if I actually know, oh, that's Jeff Waters. I love Jeff. Hey, Jeff. First, oh, hey, Jeff. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, I haven't listened yet to all of your album, um, working my way through. Um, but the bit that you sent over uh, was the only one uh, that I found in the list of titles i think it was on spotify i was looking at it yeah. um that uh mentioned face blindness um i get the impression that it's not a key element in your comedy it's more Ru russia in russian uh elements seem to be bigger in your comedy yeah i i mean you know the last four to four or so years russia's been kind of big so i'm trying to ride that for career advancement and I mean, it's also day to day, you know, I speak Russian with my parents every day. I don't, mm. I don't meet 10 new people every day where it hinders me every day of my life. Right. I, I mean, like the call, you know, like there, there's a guy in my neighborhood I recognize because he has a tiny dog. So I don't even recognize him, but I recognize the dog, which I wonder if they've ever done a test on if you're better at recognizing animals. But, uh. Yeah, it's also, it's, I want to talk more about face blindness in my act, but it's finding ways in that the audience can understand. Because it's not something people know about. So at least Russia, people have some minimal associations on average. Plus you can talk in accents, so even if they don't <laughs> have association, it still sounds funny, immigrant, ha, ha, ha. Whereas, like, it usually in stand-up, you don't want to go more than two or three lines without a laugh, two or three sentences without a punchline. Otherwise, people have short attention spans and zone out, especially if you're, if you're Jerry Seinfeld, they'll wait a couple, or George Carlin, they'll wait a few minutes till you get to where you're going because they know and love you already. But if you're just grinding it out, they're like, all right, get to the funny. Yeah. So, so it's like a, a topic that it, it's challenging for for comedy because it's it's sort of like what you were talking about before. You know, when you for and this is the same for me and most people that I talk to with face blindness. You know, when you're in a social situation and it's clear that a mistake has been made, and now you have to explain it, uh, it, it can take a while. If you say it quickly, like, uh, hey, I have prosopagnosia, this condition makes it difficult to recognize faces, pretty quickly in their mind, as you were pointing out earlier, it switches to this sort of trivial, oh, he's bad with names and faces. Yeah. 
And and it's hard for them to grasp onto it because they don't have context for something like that. Where uh, actually in the last uh, interview, um, uh, my guest mentioned describing it as a kind of dyslexia for faces, and that and this is something I'm going to play with a little bit. That that might make it stick a little more. Uh, but but the point is that. Uh, in comedy, you don't have five minutes to explain the depth and severity of it because you've lost the funny. Right. Yeah. And dyslexia for faces is interesting, but to me, I don't need, right. Dyslexia is fairly common, but all it means to me is you don't read well. Mm. Right. So, but I, I can't imagine it in a way. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it it's an interesting description, but it, so th- this is th- there's this famous philosophy essay of what what is it like to be a bat like philosophy of mind wh- where the the main of it is like I can give you all the facts about how bats see with their ears right echolocation and all of that but you still and while you can understand it uh, intellectually you still can't actually imagine what it's like to be a bat and how to see with your ears like like it's just impossible to do sure and i i think it it's kind of the same thing with dyslexia or face blindness like you can describe and understand it and and that's what i'm talking about like how it's hard to if someone doesn't have it it's hard to really like the kneecap thing is the best way i've figured out how to explain it to people so that, but it, it's like you, if you, you know, if you lose your leg in a car accident, even if you haven't lost your leg, you can imagine what it's like to go without a leg, right? Whereas something like this, I think it's just harder to fully imagine the difference. Yeah, that, that totally resonates. Yep. I get it. Yeah. Do you have any tips for me? What, what, what have been your coping mechanisms? Hmm. That's a good one. Um, that this, that, that we, we should have a support group called like face copers or something. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think mine are pretty common. It's, you know, I, I, I really haven't found a good way yet to tell people in a, in a fast, meaningful way that's going to stick. And so I tried that for a little while and I found it just wasn't worth the effort. So, uh, I just switched back to what I've always done since I was a kid, sort of, you know, naturally and intuitively, which is I begin the conversation and, uh, I think my brain slides into private eye mode, um, automatically. It's not something I'm, it's not, it's not like a conscious thing that I have to do anymore. Um, so I, you know, I begin the conversation and I think I just naturally ask open-ended questions, uh, where they're likely to deliver some little bit of information that's going to help me identify who they are. Oh, I, I just remembered a, a hilarious, uh, story, uh, with, with face blindness. So in New York city, I was on the subway and, and someone just comes up and starts talking to me and I have no idea who I am. And we're like having a 10 or 15 minute conversation on the train. But like, I think this was like three or six months ago. And like, I'm so used to not knowing who I'm talking to that it doesn't, it doesn't really phase me. You know, I'm just going through the politeness and like trying to, like you said, trying to get some detail of how I know them. And because he's like, oh, are you living in Astoria now? I'm like, yeah, I'm living in Astoria. And I mentioned comedy and he seemed a little surprised, although I've been doing it a decade and like, we had like, it was 10 or 15 minutes where I got off one stop earlier just because I wanted this to end because it was going on too long where I had no idea. And then the next day I get an Instagram message of like, hey, you must have a twin in Astoria, LOL. Turns out we actually haven't met each other. I got, I confused you for someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and and now your best friends, uh He's a godfather to one of your kids. He didn't even give me a follow on Instagram after all that. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so you've got an upcoming comedy special, uh, or an album. We still call it albums now. Yeah, although it's it just stuck, I guess. I, I, I think you just you get rid of the word record in front of it, and an album's an album, right? Right. Because an album just means a collection of songs or tracks. 
how long does it take you to put together an album like that? I, I, you know, I, I listen, I'm a podcast guy and you know, every comedian has a podcast. Yeah. Almost. almost. Sorry to not make you feel special, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting listening to some of the backstory of what it's like to, to be a comedian. And I hear these stories that, you know, guys will work on, uh, you know, an hour set for a year, the whole year or two years even. Um, how long does it take you to mm-hmm. put So, uh, from when I first started, so this is my fourth album. When I first started to when I put out my first one was four years. Then to my second one was four years. And now it's been two and two. It's also one of those things. I don't have a big enough fan base where people are like, when's your next album coming out? Put out your next album already, asshole. So like, I'm not as rushed about it. We're like, if I blew up tomorrow, I could turn, I could definitely turn around a new 45 to 60 minutes every year. Like I have the process down. Mm -hmm. Plus the more well-known you are, the more, you get to perform for an hour at a time, which makes it easier to develop new material. Whereas like most of the shows I do are 10 to 15 minutes at a time. So you can only throw in a few new things as you develop it without like ruining the set. Uh, so yeah, right, right now it's two. It's also, I think my last three albums have each been in the 75 to 80 minute range. Which, if you divide by two, that's about 40 new minutes a year, right? So, yeah, it it takes about two years, but I can... If this podcast becomes popular enough that thousands of people start clamoring for my next album, I can bang it out in a year, no problem. Well, 2% of the population supposedly has face blindness. Yeah. That's a big number. But how many of them know or focus on it, right? Because I'm like, maybe I should just be known as the face blind comedian. (laughs) But then if, like, I, I think the two uh, Facebook groups we're in have about a 1,000 members each. Yeah, right. Yeah, So it's right. like... Yeah. We're definitely in outreach mode, for sure. I, I yeah. think you picked a better niche, uh, especially now that we're, uh, again, uh, enemies with the Russians. No, no, we're not, we're, not, we're not enemies. We're all on the same team. What are you talking about, Jeff? We're all on the same team. Team Putin. It's one team. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, uh, I think there's, there's going to be a lot to mine there for the next uh, few years. So uh, that's good. Um, well, uh, Ben, this has been fantastic. Uh, I'm definitely going to put all your information in the show notes. But where could people find you? Where are the best places to find you? Follow you for sure. If, if you're on Instagram, you definitely have to follow. That's what I learned today. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, any social media is the username Big Ben Comedy, all one word. And uh, to find my website and my videos, uh, BigBenComedy.com, or you, you can just type it into YouTube too. But I, I, I prefer my website, BigBenComedy.com, because then uh, if you go on there and you sign up for my email list, I just send like one funny email a month where it's like a new funny joke and something I'm working on and a funny video. And then once every two years, I sell you an album from that email list. <laughs> mm. Well, this has been uh, the funniest face blind podcast ever. There, there's your title. Episode two, the funniest face blind podcast. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Jeff. Well, the interview was supposed to stop there, but Ben and I kept talking and There were a couple of threads that were too good to leave out, so we decided to tack those on here at the end. Enjoy. There we go. Yeah, we're good. Go ahead. So what? I I don't know if other guests have had this, but once I figured out I have face blindness, I asked my dad, I'm like, do you have difficulty recognizing faces? He's like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm like, why didn't you ever tell me about this? He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, did grandpa have this issue? He's like, yeah, I think he also had it. And then uh, I asked my, then, yeah, I think like just last month, I, on a whim, I just asked my mom if she had difficulty recognizing faces. She's like, yeah, totally. That there was like some colleague when I was interviewing for a job, I thought I was interviewing with someone new, but it turned out I already interviewed with them for four hours the day before. And I had to play it off. Like I was making a joke. So like somehow on both sides of the family, I, it's, there seems to be a genetic component as well. Oh, you're the perfect storm. Yeah. My mother, uh, same story. You know, I 
when I found out there was a thing called prosopagnosia, I sent the article over to my mom and she read it and she said, uh, yeah, that's how I live my life too. Uh, my dad was a super recognizer, I think, but you hit the lottery. Yeah. And my, 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 I told my mom about the test. She's like, oh, I'll take it. I'm like, it's 45 minutes. She's like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, but then, so I have like a one-year-old daughter now. And so I'm like looking if she's like that. But she seems to recognize people really well from across the room and like make different sounds for different people. So I'm like, oh, maybe she doesn't have it. But it, it's definitely a thing. And, and like when you were talking about how, how to explain it to people, especially in a comedic setting, one, one joke I tried, but it just, again, because I don't think people know what I'm talking about. It's like when people find out I have face blindness, they're like, can you recognize your baby? I'm like, well, yeah, because she's the only baby in my house. <laughs> she's just not allowed to have siblings or playdates unless they're black. <laughs> You're working out a bit, aren't you? <laughs> I, I mean, I gave up on it, but w when we were talking, I'm like, maybe I should bring this back. Uh... And, then, and then when when I was telling, uh, it was interesting, I, I was telling one comedian I, I, I sort of know about my face blindness. And he's like, oh, I actually had a professor who had it, and she wrote a book about it. And that was the Heather Sellers book. Oh, I haven't read that one. Yeah, what, yeah. What it's, is uh, oh, I got to find you the title. It, it was an interesting read. I mean, it seems like she also had uh, additional issues. Uh, you don't look like anyone I know is what it's called. Where it's like, it seems like, it, from what I remember, about 80% of the book was her mom was schizo. And like, they were borderline homeless and the dad was like an alcoholic gambling type and but she still somehow became a professor and she also had face blindness it was again even in that story she doesn't realize she has a problem or why people she feels like classmates aren't friendly to her like although hers seems way worse than mine there was definitely a lot of elements where i'm like oh yeah totally yep this this and this and then one, one thing, I don't, I don't know if you've heard this, but one, one thing she's mentioned there is there was some study, I don't, I don't know if it was with rats or monkeys or something, but if when they're an infant, if the mom doesn't make eye contact with them enough, they lose the ability to recognize faces. And then like parents who have schizophrenia are less likely to stare at their infant's eyes for a long time. And that might like where it's one of those things where it might not be genetic directly, but if you don't look at your child, they lose that part of their brain. Like, you, you know, how like the brain sheds unneeded neurons. So it might be related in a schizophrenia way instead of just a direct can't recognize faces, can't recognize faces way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, um, one of the things that I'm looking to explore in this series is uh connection to other issues, uh, you know, one that seems to keep coming up again and again in discussion forums is autism and autistic people often don't make eye contact. Right. I yeah, wonder if there's a cause first. or effect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've definitely self-diagnosed myself as slightly on the spectrum, but not that, that was one thing I didn't like about Caltech is everyone was like walking around with their head down in their own lost in their own thoughts where it was even too much for me. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think the, uh, one of the face blind Facebook groups yesterday, they had, they were asking the more general question of if they, if they've noticed a, uh, correlation with IQ and high intelligence and face blindness being more common in people with higher IQs, which if you go high IQ enough, you hit autism a lot at a time. So, or Asperger's. So yeah, there, there's definitely, it seems like there's so much research that could be done into this, but very few people are doing it and they're still on like a very basic level. Cause like every time the faceblind.org people send me a new study, I'll like email with them a few times and ask lots of questions. And they're like, yeah, maybe we'll get to that later. They do a good job, don't get me wrong, but it, they need more funding. That's yeah, yeah. You should, you should definitely, sorry, marketing idea, you should definitely reach out to faceblind.org, the, the assistant, and see if they'll link to your podcast because they, they seem to be like the central hub for us of like 
when you figure out you have this, you end up on that website. So if they link to your podcast, that might uh, That's de- get more def- people listening. De- definitely on the list. I wanted to actually have something out there first and have a celebrity like oh, yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. On, uh, on first. Uh, uh, if I'm your celebrity, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> but you, oh, yeah, maybe you interview one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, here, here's a question. In comedy, uh, now that you're out with the face blindness, uh, you've at least got a bit about it. You do talk openly about it. Um, have you found anyone else in the comedy scene that's also face blind. You know, I found this in my own, in my own life. When I started telling people about it, I found a few people who listened and said, Oh wow, that's me. There, there, there's one guy, uh, and we'd refer to it as our condition. Mm. Uh, he, he's not a comedian. He, he, well, he, I think he's out of comedy now. He, he but he, he was like a manager at a couple of the clubs and he'd like work the door and let people in. And if someone's going to smoke a cigarette, he has to like remember who came in already and let them back in and stuff like that. And he also had the condition, <laughs> which made his job difficult. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah. But see, so he, he was the one person who also had it. But I, and now I think he works at Madison Square Garden and events or something. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, not not it hasn't been like everyone and their mother has it. It's not like drug or alcohol addiction. <laughs> right. Well, and so you are primarily in clubs in New York City, or do you travel around? Like, where might I find you? Uh, so, yeah, my website, BigBenComedy.com, has my latest uh, schedule. Um, I'd say 90 to 95% is tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. I, I travel a little bit, but not. I'm not out on the week in a different state every weekend at this point, I'd say. All right. But if you can get a group of 20 to 50 of your face blind friends to come out (laughs) and rent a little black box, I will come happily perform for you wherever you, the listener happens to be. You'll put a, you'll put a half hour together of just face blind jokes. Uh, something I'll I'll definitely, (laughs) I'll definitely bring all my face blind jokes in there. And I'm sure if it was like, if it was a convention or where like everyone has the thing, I'm sure I would improvise a bunch of interesting <laughs> stuff that I could not use anywhere else, but it'd be like a funny support group. <laughs> well, I'm sure long before that happens, I'm going to find a way to, I'm in Rhode Island, so we're not that far apart. I'll find a way to find you in New York and, uh, you just have to promise me you're not going to change those thick black glasses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every time I, I do that and I need new headshots, it gets confusing. <laughs> All right. Hey, cool. Thanks again, Ben. Thank you, Jeff. Well, hold on. So, so I, I tried to hang up on Ben, but he said, wait, I've got one more we, story. We, we keep bantering well. So we're like, oh, wait, we should go back on air uh, with it. Uh, yeah. So I, I always thought I just liked adult cartoons because they were funny. And then once I realized I have face blindness, I'm like, oh, it's because they always wear the same clothing. They're easy to tell apart. It's it, it just like super easy to watch. And like so, some movies, like you were talking about the Netflix show. What was it? Yeah. So I was uh, saying that there was a show on Netflix called uh, The Haunting of Hill House. And every single female character had black hair and they were Hollywood actresses. So they were thin. I mean, to me, they I, I could not tell them apart, period. And there were, I think, six of them. It made it impossible to watch the show. Yeah. and the, But there was one movie, I think it came out like three years ago. I'm blanking on the title right now. It was about they had a uh, robot that was perfectly artificial intelligence. Oh, Ex Machina? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Ex Machina. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love that movie because there was one white woman, one Asian woman, <laughs> one guy with like short hair, no beard, and the other guy had a long hair and a beard or something. And it was only in four characters in two hours. I'm like, this is the perfect movie for me. This is so easy. I followed it. I thought it was a great movie. And like the reviews were mixed. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is one of the best movies ever. <laughs> but yeah, whenever, if I watch a movie with my wife, I like ask her at least twice in a movie of who's this guy. And like, she, she's nice enough to patiently tell me he's the guy that this happened to. Yeah. And she doesn't get too irritated with you. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife is well-trained too. Yeah. Cause she, she, I think like at first she, she didn't like really believe me. Like I said, like we met, I didn't recognize her. And she's like, whatever, you're, you're a dick. But by this point, she's like, okay, no, he has a thing. So like, she'll be patient with explaining movie characters to me. (laughs) Uh, All right, Ben. All right. 
I'm going to we'll, call we'll it hang, there. We'll hang up for real this time. <laughs> yeah, th- this was great, though. Thank you. For more info on this episode or prosopagnosia in general, visit faceblindpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.